0: Hey, your honor, can you take these chains off me? Can you come and take these chains off? Y'all honor, can you take these chains off me? Can you come and take these chains off me? I did it for the land of the brave, home of the free Find someone who's more patriotic than me Y'all honor, listen to me Can you come and take these chains off me? Can you come and take these chains off me? Label me a white supremacist for asking questions, I get it Demonize and silence me, cause you notice I pay attention Telling only half the story, ignoring my real intentions We ain't stormed no capital, we were simply paying a visit If America was a building and it was broken and blazing I try to save it I'd run inside and pull out my neighbors don't it sound crazy that's some crazy cause on January that was the reason these politicians committing treason we came to see it. Yeah, honor can you take these chains off me can you come and take these chains off me Ya Honor, can you take these chains off me? Can you come and take these chains off me? I did it for the land of the brave, home of the free. I someone one who's more patriotic than me. Your Honor, listen to me. Can you come and take these chains off me? Can you come and take these chains off me? Hey. Free all my justice. We marching to the capital while singing stars. single banner. Take my rights or take my life. Under, if I got to fight so it don't matter. Hey. Oh, said see bottom dawn's early life. Dawn's early, early life was so fire, proudly we held. We at the twilight's last name, we want peace. We want freedom.
1: We want freedom. We want peace. That pepper spray tastes like chicken. Welcome to episode 38 of Freedom Unchained. I am your infamous host, Joseph Thomas, also known as Pionon, and this is where we dig into the stories of January 6th, straight from the voices of those involved, people that are defendants fighting their cases in court, to the people involved in movements, organizations, as well as reporters and journalists that are out here fighting for truth, justice, and to reform our country to where it's fair on both sides of the aisle. Tonight you're gonna to hear a interview with Stephen Horn, an investigative journalist who has gone through great lengths to stay objective, and that despite what side of the narrative you want things to be, he focuses dead center on the truth. This is another excerpt from Coffee and Pie, the morning live stream that I do every weekday on Foxhole and Rumble on the J6 Freedom Unchained Rumble channel coffee and pie is my morning live stream where we dig deep into January 6th footage. I'm pulling out the excerpts of special guests and their interviews to share with you here. Cause I know you want to hear it on this platform because Spotify is the place you'd like to go. But if you are interested in digging into the video footage, check out the J six freedom, unchained rumble channel where you can also find these interviews in video format. Um, And you every weekday, like five, six, seven, eight hours a day, we stream video raw, uncut, and unedited with no narrative, just so you can see the truth and come up with your own conclusions, because that is honestly what this is all about, the truth. To change the narrative of the day to what actually happened, not what some talking head on TV tells you or some other content creator's opinion. You all are smart enough to come up with one on your own. Base it in the evidence that we show you, And I promise you will be able to have an objective look on exactly what's been going on. So thank you all for tuning in um, after a quick word from our sponsors. And we will get into the interview with Stephen Horn. As American as apple pie, as American as peanut butter and banana with a little bit of honey. Uh Uh-huh. Based out of South Carolina, America first, American made, America grown, American harvested, no communist bees guaranteed. Makehoneygreatagain.com. It helps keep America's working. It makes freedom taste oh so sweet. Completely raw honey. Wildflower, not clover, because you don't need luck to find this good honey. Makehoneygreatagain.com. Give the Donald a squeeze. Why do I say that? Because the bottle looks like Donald J, Trump, MakeHoneyGreatAgain.com. Use the promo code Freedom. Let them know that Pie sent you that little sweet deal that you're looking for to start your day, to brighten your day, and to maybe even make a pie for your leftist friend. Build some bridges, and then when they say, "Ooh, this pie tastes so great," show them the Donald Trump bottle collectors, and watch their head explode. A little love and unity sweeten the deal to help build bridges with those that might not agree that the Orange Man is the sweetest deal to come in 2024. MakeHoneyGreatAgain.com, promo code FREEDOM. Today we have an amazing show set up for you, and I am super excited. As someone that I have followed for quite some time, truly admire his objectivity and in, in, uh, investigative journalism, and he also was there at January 6th. But without further ado, I'm going to bring in our special guest today. You know him, I'm sure you follow him, and if you don't, you're doing it wrong. Stephen Horn.
2: Thanks for having me on.
1: Hey, the honor and pleasure is all mine, sir. Uh, certainly conde- uh, commend you for everything that you have been doing um, in the eyes of journalism and speaking truth and objectivity, even when other folks in our movement may disagree. But you put it out there just as it is. And as the tagline of our show says, Kofefi is best served raw. And we're certainly glad to have you. So for those that are not part of the Cool Kids Club, kind of give us a brief background of who you are and how you got involved into doing what you're doing now.
2: Yeah, so I am an independent journalist. Um, I guess I, I started publishing independent journalism in the summer of 2020. So I am here in north carolina uh right around the the raleigh area so what i was seeing is there are these riots happening across the country and what i saw is that it was you know independent journalists and journalists who are not associated with the mainstream media who are really doing the best job getting out there on the street and covering these riots and actually showing us you know what was what was happening on the streets of our cities as opposed to you know fiery, but, but mostly peaceful was sort of the, you know, the, the messaging from the mainstream media. So I was here in North Carolina, there was, you know, the riots here weren't as bad as they were in many cities, but there, there were, you know, Antifa, BLM style rioting. And, you know, there, I didn't really see any independent journalists who are doing that here. So I started going out, you know, trying to, to cover these, uh, <coughs> these demonstrations, uh, you know, here sort of in my local area. And I guess, you know, my, my uh, independent journalism has sort of uh, expanded since then.
1: That's awesome. And it brought you into the, the forefront of January 6th, um, subsequently. Now, um, in our audience, we have uh, M. Lambert, paralegal for uh, John Pierce Law Firm. Absolutely amazing legal team. Um, she just put in chat that she lists your videos in every defense exhibit list. Uh, whether they end up using them or not and it, it always pisses off the asua so you're infamous with the uh the prosecution yeah. because of the truth that you put out
2: yeah uh yeah i haven't actually been been uh called to testify in any of the january 6 trials but i believe i was on the witness list um for at least one of the the oath keeper trials i actually did the only time I did testify for for someone else was that, I don't know if you remember the trial they had for an Oath Keeper in Alaska. It was a civil trial um, deciding if this um, Alaskan Oath Keeper, who is a member of the Alaska, I guess, State House of Representatives, um, would be allowed to serve. So I actually testified virtually for that. But yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure how much play my video has gotten either from you know defense or prosecution in these trials um, I think it's been referenced in one or two charging documents that I'm aware of but you know the the government doesn't reach out to give you a heads up so yeah I, I really have no idea how how far the video has gone in that regard. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, any day that you can be a thorn in the side of somebody that is trying to railroad another American citizen is always a good day, in my opinion. Now, um, what actually brought you to January 6th?
2: Yeah, it's <clears> a <throat> great question. So I am on the sort of right side of things politically, obviously the right side, but a conservative, um, but, but I'm not a Trump supporter. But I, I had seen sort of the, the MAGA movement, the, the Trump movement is fundamentally different from any other presidential campaign uh, in my lifetime, certainly any since I started paying attention to politics. So I wanted to sort of go to at least one, you know, genuine Trump rally and see it for myself, feel the energy for myself. You know, there's, there's something about uh, being, an event in person that just can't be captured through a camera through a screen. But as a type of person who tends to procrastinate, um, I didn't go to any of the Trump rallies in North Carolina. And so when I heard about January sixth, you know, Trump was going to actually show up himself for this rally, you know, he was saying, "Yeah, come, it'll be wild or whatever." I was like, "Okay, this is this very well could be my last chance to sort of experience." Uh, what a trump rally is like in person and so i was going up there to sort of observe the rally not even to participate in it and the reason i brought my um you know camera my journalistic equipment that i had put together for you know covering local riots in north carolina is that i had been following some of the reporting about the protests in dc in november and the protests in dc in december and one of the things i was following was the reports of how there were stabbings there was violence on the streets between Trump supporters and anti Trump supporters the, the counter protesters you know there is very viral videos you know the Trump supporters trying to get back to the hotel they're being hit stuff is thrown at them and so that was kind of what was in my mind when I I brought my uh, my camera that I had <laughs> that I had made for covering rise is that hey you know, if I come across any of this sort of street level stuff, I want to be able to document it and publish it. But I wasn't necessarily expecting to come across it. Just, you know, be prepared if I did. So that was kind of my mentality coming into January 6th was not even really covering the rally itself because there were, you know, lots, lots of people out there covering the rally. But if I did come across the street level stuff, I'd be in a position to report on it safely.
1: And what, what kind of camera did you use? Because we actually highlighted your unedited footage and it looked like you had it a, a, kind of at a higher position. So was it like a mounted on your,
2: mm, on yes, your head so, or how, how did you use it? So it was a, a custom camera. Um, basically, I took a skateboard helmet, You know, cut some of the foam on the inside out and basically put some, uh, you know, a Raspberry Pi custom built camera in there um, so that I could basically record at these you know riots that I was covering without people knowing that I was there as a member of the media and not you know as a participant because one of the first you know BLM Antifa rallies I covered in downtown Raleigh one of the things I witnessed was one of the, the local TV crews you know they were surrounded they were being assaulted people were trying to throw punches at them even though they had like two huge security guards with them. So when I saw that I was like okay If I'm going to report on these events safely, obviously, they are not really fond of media. So I need a way to be able to record video without them knowing that, you know, I I am there as a member of the media. (laughs) That's basically what I put together is this helmet. So the camera is actually mounted, you know, inside the helmet. So just looking at it from the outside, you wouldn't be able to see that there is a camera there.
1: That's pretty intuitive and the ingenuity to put that together like that. And that's actually really smart. And of course you have the protection of the the bike helmet for any things being thrown. I I took
2: a lot of the foam out, so I'm not sure uh, how much protection it would have given, but yeah, a little protection.
1: Nice, nice. So when you were there, kind of let us know what, what was the atmosphere like and what are some notable things that you had witnessed?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, at, at the Trump rally, the atmosphere, you know, it it, it wasn't what, <laughs> you know, in hindsight, it wasn't what I was, what I would expect to be, you know, preceding what, what happened at the Capitol. Because, you know, I didn't notice really anything odd over by the the ellipse or the Washington Monument. But, you know, when I made my way towards the Capitol with, you know, the, all the crowds moving down Pennsylvania Avenue, it was... Before I even reached the Capitol grounds itself, I was sort of like the parking lot at the end of Pennsylvania Avenue, right before the edge of Capitol grounds, is that I sort of sensed an an energy in the crowd that then matched what what I had uh, you know perceived at the, you know events I had covered in Raleigh, which you know <laughs> it always sounds weird to me describing it because I can't I can't point to any one thing. You know, I hadn't seen any of the fencing that had been moved. I hadn't seen any of the, you know, tear gas or crowd munitions. I hadn't seen people climbing on stuff. I hadn't seen any violence. But somehow, I guess, I don't know, the body language of the crowd or whatever made me think, hey, something's about to go on or something's going on. Let me pull out my camera and start filming. So that's, you know, when I started filming right before I entered Capitol Grounds and I filmed continuously for two hours when i left and in that two hours um a lot happened and uh a lot that i observed so i can sort of uh walk walk through it one by one but uh, it might take a while
1: yeah well we got nothing but time and um you know i did, did you film um officer williams down at the bottom of the steps or is that footage of someone else's officer that you're Will-
2: um That is not my video. That is, um, I think it's one of the videos that was, uh, released through, um, like the, (laughs) the parlor hack or leak or whatever that was published through, I think was ProPublica. I think that's where I found that video. And I think it was also used as, um, evidence in uh, some of the government's cases, I believe, um, I'm drawing a blank on the name of that. The proud boy, um, who had you know got the police shield and was on video smashing out the window, I believe that was uh, that was the case that the government, you know, sort of published it as this is one of our exhibits.
1: Yeah, Dominic Pozzola. So I was just curious. I wasn't sure if that one was yours or not, um, but I do know that you had actually filmed a very infamous footage of Derek Varga being shoved off the top of the stairs, right?
2: Yes, no, no, I did not film that. so basically, I arrived right in that area, you know, the grass below the staircase right as Vargo is being carried off. so when I okay. got there, I just see this man you know on the piece of bike rack that they are using as a stretcher um and you know there are people carrying him off, you know, like a couple of paramedics, a couple of police officers, and then just you know people in the crowd who are helping carry carry this uh, improvised stretcher and so i didn't know what had happened and i didn't really have a chance to ask around because immediately after that um is you know when people start throwing objects at the police up there on the staircase and then the police retreat and so sort of you know a, a whirlwind right after there but researching you know hey what happened to this guy Why aren't more people talking about it is sort of one of the things that got me back into doing more of the the investigatory side of J6 journalism, Um, you know, after the event. And I think uh, September that year is when I started, you know, doing some video analysis and editing and publishing this video that, you know, I had had gathered from uh, (coughs) various sources. So I didn't take any of the video of Derek Vargo actually being pushed off. But I did, you know, once I came across, you know, multiple angles of this video, I did put it together, you know, edit it and try to get it out there because I was really surprised that more media, especially on the, the right wing side, were not talking about this story because it seemed pretty, you know, major to me that this this uh, Trump supporter had been pushed off this, you know, two to three story fall. He broke both his legs. Um you know, very severely injured. I believe he he was unconscious when he was being carried off. And so, you know, I was, I, I didn't personally witness what led to his injuries, but the fact that I witnessed him being carried off is one of the things that motivated me to sort of look into the story further.
1: Okay. You know, I have to admit, I had a, a misunderstanding and I was even confused whenever we went over your unedited footage. I was like, I thought he recorded him falling. But I saw like he kind of went up into the trees to get a better angle and then came back down to the other side as they were carrying him off and then kind of followed him yeah. in that makeshift stretcher. And yeah, so I was so like, I well, maybe I, he had a second camera.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think I arrived in that area between when he fell and when he was carried off. So I think, trying to remember, maybe that was like a, I, I shouldn't know because I've done all the the timeline and stuff for the, the documentary I put out, but. Yeah, there's, he was uh, you know, on the ground for a couple minutes, um, you know, while they were, I guess, putting him in the stretcher and before they actually carried him off.
1: Nice. Um, M Lambert of uh, John Pierce Law wants me to give you her number because they would love to talk to you. Just letting you know that. They, they just dropped that in my chat. Um, okay. She's yeah, actually part just of my, my DM legal it team. to me. I will. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're part of my legal team and they're absolutely amazing. So shout out to john pierce law now a lot of what you were witnessing in the crowd was obviously heightened emotions and uh you know kind of a charged atmosphere once you got to the the capital um what are some of the misconceptions of the Capitol incidents would you like to point out to folks
2: okay misconceptions okay this is this is a fun one um, maybe maybe controversial as well i would say that one of the the misconceptions that the many people, especially on well, mainly on the right, have about January 6th, is that that somehow, you know, all these videos you see of, you know, people assaulting police or breaking stuff that that these must be Antifa and not Trump supporters because Trump supporters don't do things like that. And I think that's a misconception because even though there is evidence of, you know, some Antifa being there like uh John Sullivan or or some of the Antifa press like uh, Talia Jane or whatnot, um, you know, I don't believe there is evidence of widespread Antifa infiltration. You know, what I saw was consistent with um, you know, most the, the vast majority of the people I saw in the crowd and in the Capitol being Trump supporters. Um and so I think one of the one of the things that is sort of uh, illustrative of that is the lack of damage that was done inside the Capitol. You know, if, if Antifa had uh the the run of the place, they certainly would have done a lot more damage to the interior of the Capitol. It was sort of an interesting dynamic I saw that the people in the crowd were willing to, at least certain elements of the crowd were willing to smash through windows, they're willing to, you know push police officers out of their way or fight with police officers who perceive they're in the way. But, you know, once the police officers were out of the way, you know, there are people who are protecting them. And, you know, the, in, in one instance in the, the crypt, which is the room under the rotunda, you know, I saw someone take a bar and they start hitting like a, a diorama or exhibit they have down there. So, you know, part of the, I guess, tour, I don't know. But as soon as the, the prison started damaging that, you know, other people around him were like, stop, don't do that. And so basically, (coughs) you know, that the the point of this is that, you know, the the people I saw in the Capitol were Trump supporters. And I, I think, I really think it's a misconception that this was, you know, actually, you know, left wing activists posing as Trump supporters. I think there's, you know, a lot of evidence that there was some level of you know, federal infiltrate, infiltration with undercover agents and whatnot. We know some of the uh, undercover metropolitan officers that were there. Um, we know FBI informants that were there. But I don't think there was a large, you know, Antifa or left-wing undercover component that was, you know, like actually responsible for um, the bad, you know, some of the bad things that were done.
1: Right. And we do know that, I mean, there were some, but, you yeah, know, exactly a lot less. some. Yeah, a lot less than what some people may consider, and we've said this for a long time that you know Trump supporters got mixed up in the emotion of the crowd and, and made poor judgment, and if you know if anybody actually broke the law, then they should face justice. But that justice does need to be fair, true, and blind, and not uh, one sided to um, quote unquote destroy political opponents. So you know I I certainly can agree with that there, and that's something we've tried to to push for a while. That listen, like yeah, Trump supporters made some bad decisions. Um, and that it's not necessarily always the quote unquote bad guy that snuck in. Um, any, any others?
2: Hmm. Misconceptions. Um, I mean, this, this is probably uh, beating a dead horse for your audience, but, you know, I think there's definitely the misconception sort of on the, the left wing side, um, or the establishment side that, you know, there is some big grand plot, um, What I saw was more uh, organic crowd behavior, especially once people were in the capital, you know, they're spreading out. Um, They didn't seem to be following any plan. It didn't even seem that there were like specific individuals who had a plan and they're trying to get people along with them. I didn't really see much of that. Um, So, so yeah, it it seemed more like the crowd was a lot of, a lot of people seemed like surprised that they were actually in the capital, not like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm finally in the Capitol. Let me do what I was planning to do. And so I think that's uh, really a misconception that has been pushed forward, um, especially in the sort of the group or conspiracy prosecutions against the Oath Keepers or the Proud Boys or whatnot. You know, <clears throat> I, I don't think that this, there really was like a master plan um, for uh, for those, uh, Even even the organized groups like the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers. You know, I did witness the witness some of the interaction between the Oath Keepers and Officer Dunn um, in the small house rotunda. And what I saw there was a group of Oath Keepers were trying to calm things down on both sides. They were trying to de-escalate the police officer, Officer Dunn, who had his rifle and looked like he was about to start shooting people. And they're also trying to escalate the people who, for whatever reason, were shouting at this officer look like he was about to shoot them and so you know i, I think that's really one one misconception that you know primarily in that the left-wing media is that you know there is some big conspiracy or plot that that people were carrying out going inside the capitol
1: in and uh you know steve baker uh just released a story about how um government witnesses have actually falsified testimony based on the uh, interaction between officer harry dunn and the oath keepers uh, showing that cctv camera footage uh does not corroborate his story it actually says something quite differently that that witness was located in a different part of the Capitol. um but you you you, rec- you rec- uh, excuse me recorded some of the the footage of that interaction between the two correct
2: yeah yeah um it's pretty short footage i didn't stick around in that room for too long because i didn't want to you know get shot by a stray bullet. Um... Fair enough, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, yeah. I I recorded some video, and you know, going back and looking at the video, it it matches exactly. You know what I remember. My impression being, you know, immediately stepping in that room, you know, I got the impression of what the the different groups were and what the, the dynamic was because it was sort of interesting. Um, you know, I just walked back from uh, the House Chambers where people were you know beating on the doors trying to get in the police deploy tear gas or or some chemical agent to disperse people and so i was walking back to that the rotunda with with many members of the crowd and you know police officers were were making their way through the crowd you know in ones twos threes you know they're trying to get somewhere they're moving through the crowd and so you know i passed multiple police officers right before entering that, that room, you know, the small house rotunda, and it will just like a completely different dynamic, you know, the attitude of the police officers being like, coming through, move, I'm, I'm walking through this crowd, you know, not, not looking like they are particularly worried that like, you know, someone was going to jump out and hit them in the back of the head with a brick. Whereas, you know, I walk into this room, you know, the small house rotunda and officer Dunn is there with his gun. And he does look like he's, you know, in fear of his life or agitated or whatnot, but he looked like he was just, you know, one, one step away from actually, you know, lifting his gun and and starting to shoot people. And I definitely got the feeling that (coughs) like stuff had happened before I got there, you know, that, that had potentially, you know, set things up to be this, this emotional where there's, you know, he's obviously in a heightened state of emotion and that the people who are yelling at him are obviously in a heightened state of emotion and the oath is trying to calm things down. And I was like, you know, I, I don't really want to to linger in this room for very long.
1: It's probably a smart choice because you know things escalated and it could have escalated a lot worse. Uh thankfully it didn't. And um yeah it was it was likely the CS gas um which is actually a violation of their training and policies. Um you're not supposed to you know, deploy gas in an enclosed space uh, due to you know lack of oxygen issues and cause people to asphyxiate. So,
2: yeah, um, I mean, I'm not sure it was it was that bad there because you know the the ceilings there are like you know two or three stories ha- high even in like the hallways. Um, so I, I I'm you know the, the like actual effects of the gas. I'm not sure they're that bad. But one thing I've always been curious about when they have these, you know, huge figures of damage done to the Capitol, I'm curious, like, okay, like, how much of this restoration was, you know, all these old paintings and stuff that are now being exposed to this chemical agent, you know, I think they did have to do a lot of restoration work. Um, But yeah, I've always been curious, and I haven't seen anyone, you know, doing an actual breakdown of like, okay, this is this is the amount of damage that, that uh, the police did by, by deploying this chemical agent. Cause you know, when I was in the Capitol, you know, maybe there was a couple people deploying pepper spray or bear spray on the side of the crowd. Um, but certainly nothing close to the extent of the, <coughs> you know, th- this chemical weapon though is deployed by the police from the house store where I was like, you know, you're, 20, 30 feet down the hallway, and it's so thick, you, you can't see the, the end. Um, right. So that, that's one thing I've always been curious about, and I, I haven't seen an answer anywhere.
1: Yeah, and a lot of um, my curiosity stems on that aspect as well, because during my trial, uh, one of the Metro Police officers accused me of, you know, he insinuated that I had been one of the people involved in cutting the tarp that surrounded the, uh, the outside of the grandstands on the Upper West Terrace. And then we showed footage that it was actually him and other officers that pulled out knives and started cutting giant holes in that tarp. And so, you know, that that accusation against me was proven false and that he had perjured himself on the stand. Uh, but then I thought to myself like, okay, we've shown that it was the officers that damaged it. How many defendants are being forced to pay restitution based on the damage of that tarp and other damage around the Capitol that the, the police may have caused themselves? Because I mean, yeah, other than some windows and some furniture, um, most of the damage that I've seen being caused are actually by the police in the process of pushing out the crowd, et cetera. Um, I, I think it's equally culpable if anything on both sides in that aspect.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've I've always been curious about the the number because, like you said, you know, there were doors that were broken, windows smashed, but if if you look at like the number of windows smashed and doors broken, um, and tarps cut, you know, for for whatever uh, it costs to replace a tarp. It didn't really seem to add up to like, you know, I, I want to say it was over 100 million that, you know, the, the restitution numbers were based on or that they included in the plea agreements. And it didn't seem to add up, but um, it, would, you know, it, it is government and bureaucracy. So, you know, what, what would cost uh, uh, private business to, to replace would probably be, I don't know how big of a multiplier that is for the government to do the, the same amount of work. Right, with three hundred dollars for stuff, and you know, I'm sure that makes everything expensive. <laughs> but but yeah, it, it would certainly. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the, you know, getting professional art restores, you know, whatever they call those people out to to restore to make sure there is no damage to you know all this all this artwork in the Capitol. Um, I I could imagine that that adding up very quickly.
1: Yeah, especially when the government spends $300 on a hammer.
2: Um, so, <laughs> Hopefully it's a pretty good hammer.
1: <laughs> right, right. Uh, so uh, M just dropped in chat the, there was testimony in the Proud Boys trial that the paintings were not damaged. Um, that was Chief Inspector Lloyd actually testified to it. It was a pretty uh, pretty vicious cross-examination. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, I, I think there certainly wasn't like anyone jumping up there and slashing them with knives, but... You know, I'm I'm not sure if there is, you know, danger being exposed to to any of these chemicals.
0: Right.
1: I want to encourage everybody to sing the anthem. We do the Sing for Freedom campaign and have been pushing it for two years. Hashtag sing the number four freedom. It helps revitalize patriotism. It shows the families and the inmates and defendants of January 6th that you stand in solidarity with them, that you don't agree with the injustices that are being pushed upon them by the federal government, like periodic beatings, masings, destruction of their lives, the taking of their homes, simply for being peaceful. It also brings awareness to the suffering that they go through to get more eyes, hearts, minds, and voices involved. And for those that don't know, you might ask, well, what what is Sing for Freedom? The inmates inside the jail sing the national anthem every night at 9 p.m. Eastern from their cells, behind steel doors. And when we heard that, we pushed it out into the public and said, get involved, let's stand and sing with them. So we do, every single night, thousands of patriots across the country stand, In solidarity with American citizens that have not been to trial, have not been convicted of any crime, even though they sit in prison for two years in the most abhorrent conditions. And this isn't just for those that are locked up. This is also for the inmates that have been sentenced who lost their due process rights. This is also for the defendants that are sitting at home on electronic confinement. This is for any of those that are persecuted, prosecuted and discriminated against because they dared to speak up and say, we love this nation. I also want you to visit the website Sing the number four freedom.us sing for freedom.us is a central hub where you can find everything and anything you need to get involved and help out if you want to donate to their give send goes to help their families and their fundraisers it's there and it goes directly to them no middleman nobody's here to get a profit but it goes help them save their homes help them get lawyers help them get what they need to stand up against this tyranny And you can also find groups that get involved and do tons and tons of things for the January 6th defendants, inmates, and their families. Things that many people might not think of, like getting them phone cards so that they can speak to their families and loved ones. Getting them commissary on their books because they don't get enough food. Legal defense, research funds, people out here, boots on the ground, getting involved. So check them out. Get involved and speak up. You can also send a voice message for this podcast and we'll broadcast you live so that everybody can hear it and the families can share in your love of nation as well. Now, um, in the aspect of, of violence, um, you say you saw it on both sides. Um, can you highlight some of the most notable points?
2: Yeah, so I guess, you know, what I, what I first witnessed was, you know, I'm standing Right there, near where uh, Derek Fargo had just been carried off on a stretcher, and I see that the police—they're sort of on the, the middle landing of the northwest staircase. <laughs> and so, if you know your uh, January sixth, I guess geography—you um, know, the northwest staircase is is how people would access the upper terrace and you know gain access to the the center Wing door, which is you know the first breach into the Capitol building. And so that, that uh, middle, um, I'm drawing a blank on the word I just used, but basically the police were there, um, you know, on, on the middle of the staircase, that was where Derek Fargo had just been pushed off of. So I guess, you know, sort of the, the first violence I see is, you know, objects sort of being thrown over my head um, and landing in or around, you know, where those, those police officers are up there on the stairs. And I also see, you know, the crowd there, I don't see, you know, specific, like, you know, people swinging or whatever, because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking from below and (coughs) it's, you know, up there, but, but it seemed like they're putting pressure on those police officers. And then, you know, the, the police officers retreat up the staircase and eventually, you know, sort of leave things wide open so that, you know, that the crowd can just flow up the stairs, bypass the, the main police line, which was still down on, um, the, lower plaza between the two staircases but they're able to go up the staircase get behind the police line fill up the upper terrace you know get in through the senate wing door get in through that i think it's the parliamentarian door there get in through the um <coughs> the upper terrace door in the middle um but but yeah that was sort of kind of i guess the the first violence i saw you know something out of the ordinary from what you normally see it uh uh, protests or demonstration was those you know various objects being thrown at the police and now if you if you look at the videos from just a couple minutes prior from when you know the video is showing Derek Vargo actually being pushed off you can sort of hear an audible reaction in the crowd you know, like a gasp or or shouts or whatever you know right after he is pushed off and so I think <coughs> you know it's, it's kind of hard to say you know how much of an effect Derek Vargo being pushed off had on the crowd. But I think it certainly did have some effect. And I think certainly the people, you know, who are throwing objects at the police after wit just witnessing, you know, someone being carried through the crowd on a stretcher. You know, I think that it was probably influenced by that. Um, <coughs> so you know, the the other instances of violence I witnessed inside the Capitol was one. Um, you know, sort of in the crypt, the, the room below that, you know, rotunda, all the big pillars holding it up and stuff, was basically shortly after people had started entering the Capitol, you know, there was really no police defense right at the door, the Senate wing door where people entered. I believe that was sort of the, the first, you know, police line <coughs> that they were able to assemble sort of inside the Capitol to try to, you know, contain the mass of people coming in. And so, um, you know, I, I did witness some violence there. You know, I saw someone throw out like a fire extinguisher at the police, which is <clears throat> obviously capable of uh, causing some damage. You know, it, when I gave my interview to the FBI, there was still, you know, the, the false narrative out there that Brian Sicknick had been killed by a fire extinguisher. So, you know, now now we know that he was not, but there was you know, instances of people using fire extinguishers as a weapon, both spraying them. And as I saw, you know, someone chucking it over, over the heads of the crowd and to the police officers. <coughs> what, what are we talking? Oh, we're still talking about violence, I guess. Yep. So, um, you know, I, I guess one of you know most of the time i was inside the capitol i was i was not witnessing violence you know there's this sort of odd dynamic where like you know in one place um you know there would be this this violent clash you know people pushing into police officers trying to get through um and then you know like a couple minutes a couple minutes later and you know a, a different hallway it was like a completely different dynamic that you are just like hanging out you know, walking through the velvet ropes and whatever. And so it was just this weird dynamic. And and later in the rotunda, it was even, you know, across the room, there are people, you know, hanging out, smoking marijuana, passing marijuana around. And, you know, sort of on the other side of the room is one of the, the incidents of violence I witnessed. <coughs> and one of the, the most famous photographs of me where I'm sort of, you know, like, uh, you know, leaning with, with one foot on the statue. You know, I have my, my camera out there. Um... <coughs> Is is that you know one of the exits to the rotunda? There, I guess you know the police were blocking it at the time, and so you know a group of of the crowd comes together. I'm not really sure what exactly started the violence. You know, if the people just started pushing the police, or if the police tried to grab someone or whatever. But basically, it turned into this, you know, this the struggle, this scrimmage where the the people are all packed together, you know, trying to push through in a block against the police, and you know witnessing that was, was one of the reasons when I, you know, heard about Roseanne Boylan and people were saying, oh, she got crushed. I was like, that, that is very plausible because I had witnessed, you know, this and some other instances at the Capitol where, yeah, the crowd was just pushing together so tightly that, that I could easily imagine someone being crushed or, or trampled, you know, if, you know, one little thing went wrong because it was just so tightly packed together. And so that was, yeah, that was one of the, the odd things I witnessed about the violence was kind of that, that there was instances of, of clear violence, but then it would be like lots of instances of non-violence. And you know, one <laughs> the the fact that a lot of people were peaceful doesn't negate the fact that some people were violent and you know, sort of vice versa. The fact that some people were violent doesn't negate the fact that most people weren't violent. You know, they're they're both true and they both you know, it exists at the same time, and even in in locations not too far from each other. You know, within eye right. shot.
1: So it'd be like little isolated pockets of incidents that were short lived, and then people would go back to being peaceful, and 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 yeah. vice versa. the, yeah, the that, peaceful crowd. Kind
2: of would... What I witness is that I guess I don't know. Maybe maybe the people who are more um, tending to violence sort of gathered together with, with other people who who had a tendency to violence. And I think it was more like when the police are rocking them, they would break through and the police would retreat. And then, you know, you would just sort of sort of uh, wander through after the the police resistance has sort of been broken, so to speak.
1: And so after you were, you're leaving the Capitol that day, um, I noticed in your unedited footage, uh, you ran into some folks to say they had witnessed the shooting of Ashley Babbitt. Uh, what sort of insight can you give um, about that while you were while you were there?
2: Yeah, so basically the the first time I heard about the shooting of Ashley Babbitt was actually when I was over by the, the house door um, shortly before they deployed the tear gas. And so, you know I didn't know it at the time, but I was actually just like one hallway and a staircase away from the speaker's lobby where Ashley Babbitt was shot. So you know, it turns out probably when I you know first first heard that, You know, it was probably only a couple minutes after she had been shot. But um, what I found with crowds is that uh, rumors that are passed around tend to have a low degree of veracity. So you know, I I heard that people were saying someone had been shot. So I was like, okay, you know, that's possibly true. Let me try to find some more info. So when I did run into other people who were talking about it, you know, I think I I ended up running into someone who had like blood on his sweatshirt um from the shooting and i guess you know the the incident you might be referring to in the video is when i actually ran into john sullivan so basically he was um i was at the bottom of the, the stairs on the the sort of the center stairs on the the east side of the capitol building which lead up to the sort of portico there and the columbus door and i guess you know looking at the video um I guess John Sullivan is sort of, like, walking behind me, Um, you know, he's, I guess he's wearing all black or mostly black, he has his, (laughs) his, uh, you know, his phone camera on a a gimbal, and someone, you know, like, shouts out to him, like, hey, you know, who are you, why aren't you wrapping Trump gear, and so he starts explaining how he's there as a member of the media, how he has his camera, he even opens up his jacket, um, and he has, like, uh, a bulletproof vest or a plate carrier with you know press on it under his jacket, and he was basically saying like, "Yeah, you know, I just recorded video of this lady being shot by the police." And so he actually, you know, starts pulling up up, uh, <clears throat> you know, the video on his phone that he had recorded of Ashley Babbitt being shot. And I guess that was when I was like, "Okay, this this sounds credible. This is someone who has a camera." And he's saying, "I have video." He's showing people. I didn't actually you know. I'm able to lean over and see the video itself. And then I was like, "Okay." wow you know I, I guess i guess this is this is real this this happened <laughs> and it wasn't until later that you know i see the reporting about um john sullivan and, and Jaden x as he went by um you know selling his footage and going on cnn and whatnot and i was like oh wow that's that's the the guy i ran into
1: yeah i, mean, I, re- I remember in your footage you kept asking rubber bullet or blood rubber bullet or blood yeah
2: because yeah they're saying the police were shooting people and it's like okay well like, were they killing people or just, like, shooting them with, with uh, pepper balls? Because, you know, that's that's more what you expect from, you know, I guess the, the level of violence that I saw from members of the crowd was not to the level of lethal force. And it was not to the level where I would think, okay, a police officer would be justified in using for, lethal force against that. So I was like, okay, you know, was are are they talking about people getting shot with bullets or... You know, as we know, I think on the west side of the Capitol, they did use quite a bit of, of uh, you know, pepper balls or, or other, you know, sort of munitions like that. You know, there's Joshua Black who got like the, the piece lodged in his face and it was bleeding and all sort of stuff like that. But it turns out, no, they're, they're referring to uh, Ashley Babbitt, yeah. who, you know, was was shot with with actual bullets and uh, passed away fairly quickly, as I understand.
1: Yeah. And uh, another tragedy. You know, the, the four deaths that, uh, at the Capitol that we um, try to make sure to say their name as often as possible is Roseanne Boylan, Ashley Babbitt, Kevin Greason, and Benjamin Phillips. And, uh, you know, to, to be there and hearing from the crowd uh, instantly afterwards what had, what had happened in their their account, um, you have a unique perspective to see where it came from to how it's evolved to, to um, today. Is there any Anything you'd like to mention about that at all?
2: Um, in terms of the deaths. Sure. Specifically. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing you have to to remember when when uh, you know looking at the the reports of you know what what people are saying or hearing that day is that yeah you know a lot of things get get uh, jumbled up you know sort of as the crowd things get passed around even with the police you know the. There There is a, the report of shots fired. Um, you know, the first one that was around when Ashley Babbitt was shot. That was actually before she was shot. So the police, you know, right, right before, uh, I'm drawing a blank, Michael Bird, right before Bird shoots her, you know, there's this call that went out on the, the Capitol Police radio that, hey, shots are fired. And uh, I believe it was specifically said, you know, in the house chamber. Which you know ended up being not shots fired, just you know people breaking glass or or whatnot. You know some loud noise that people had mistaken for shots. But even there, you know that that false report of shots being fired, you know, potentially contributed to a state of mind where at an actual shot was fired. And so it's um I, <laughs> it's it's important to remember if if you're in a situation like that in the future is that like yeah the information being passed around um, there is. You should uh take it with a, a healthy dose of salt and it's not until you know afterwards that you're able to to put all the pieces together and determine you know what actually happened
1: yeah it very well could be just a bad game of telephone so um <clears throat> once you had left the Capitol, you had all the footage um, what did you did you immediately release uh, <laughs> what you had recorded uh, did you hold on to it for a while like what what made you decide to to publish?
2: Yeah. So I released it as soon as I could, you know, the intent with recording the video was to publish it. So, you know, as soon as I got back on the the bus to North Carolina, I started, you know, downloading and, and downloading the footage to my computer, transcoding it. And, you know, I uploaded it as soon as I could, you know, I think it ended up making it to, uh, to the internet in the, the early morning hours of January 7th. But yeah, that was definitely my intent was to, you know, get this, get this footage out to the public as soon as I could. Because yeah, like I said, that was really my my only purpose and being there and capturing the footage was to publish it. And for me, that's, that's really what I consider the the core of journalism as I think of it in the, the sense of the First Amendment, which is freedom of the press. And, you know, <laughs> as we know, the, the press is a tool for publishing. If you just capture video and and sit on it, that's that's not really that's not using the press. That's not really journalism. That's just, you know, for your own uh, personal benefit. So, you know, I was, I was capturing video for the intent of publishing it. <laughs> so that's, that's, you know, what I did is, is uh, as soon as I had the opportunity.
1: Nice. And so you ended up leaving DC that, that same evening.
2: Yeah. So I, I, <clears throat> I, I rode up on a bus from North Carolina, you know, it left at like 1am in the morning you know, got, got to DC around six or seven. And then, you know, yeah, it went back that night, I believe, you know, maybe left the city around five.
1: Okay. So you were, you were out of there even before curfew. Yeah. Nice. So obviously you subsequently became arrested due to your presence at the Capitol. Um, if, if anything, what would you like to, to share about your arrest?
2: (coughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess when uh, you know I reached out to the FBI on um, January seventh, you know after I'd uploaded the footage, I just reached out and said, "Hey, you know I have I have evidence, video evidence of of uh, you know assaults on police officers and you know some property destruction, and so I figured they'd be interested in that because you know that looking at uh, looking at the the history of the you know, generally law enforcement and even the FBI going after rioters in 2020, they it was generally, you know, focused on, okay, you know, this person assaulted a police officer or this person, you know, threw a Molotov cocktail at the building. Um, you know, that that seemed to be the genre of crimes that they're interested in prosecuting. So I was like, hey, I have evidence. I'll let them know. Um, you know, I, I left my, uh, my email address, phone number, whatever, in the tip. And I was expecting them to, you know, reach out back to me. Um, But apparently they they didn't decide to get into contact with me until an image of me was published on the New York Times Magazine Instagram page that, you know, went viral, tons of views, tons of likes, whatever. (laughs) And so they got a lot of tips about me. And so they ignored the tip from me and focused on the tips about me. And, you know, that was sort of their, their impetus to reach out to me, you know, do an interview and eventually charge me, you know, you can see in the charging documents, they, they cite the tips they received about me, but, you know, we didn't even get a copy of the tip that I sent to them on January 7th until like a couple of days before the trial, even though, you know, obviously this was something they had, had in their possession the whole time and you know this this tip that i sent to them was days before you know that the image of me was published and you know days before obviously they received any tips based on the image that of me that was published and so it was kind of uh, frustrating to me seeing the seeing how many mainstream media outlets are basically just you know parroting the the narrative that the fbi put out there which was they received tips about me then they they came and investigated me, even though you know the, the true timeline of events is that I reached out to them first. So it was, was kind of uh, interesting and a uh, little frustrating to see the sort of mainstream, um, I don't know, you know, FBI to uh, to the public um, story process.
1: That's actually something I can relate to. You, know, I, I published all of my video. Uh, fairly immediately, and I even tagged um, the FBI in my videos saying, use these videos to find people causing destruction, you know because um, I, I videoed and witnessed <clears throat> people in the crowd, for example, picking up a power saw and cutting down sections of the the tarp going on wow. the grandstand. Um, also people in the crowd trying to convince other members of the crowd to use pipes against Capitol police, as they said, for their own defense. And so I actually ran down and was like, no, 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 put that shit back and t- kept telling people no violence, no violence, and help get those pipes away from the protesters, you know, trying to help keep the peace between both sides, the police and the, uh, the protesters. And one of my alleged assaults is where I was actually pushing a gap between the police line and the protesters line, pushing protesters away, um, telling everybody to hold the line, like just stay there, stop, stop clashing, stop advancing. Um, that alleged assault, by the way, got thrown out for mistrial. Um, another one of mine is where I put my body between a police officer and an old guy laying on the ground as he was beating him in the head with a nightstick, uh, metal baton. And I just kind of put my forearm out, stepped in between the two and was like, let him up, let him up. Um, and the, thankfully the judge threw that out saying, listen, he had the right to defend somebody against unlawful use of force. Um, so, uh, to answer your question in chat, M, no, he has not been sentenced yet. His sentence hearing is in January. Uh, she doesn't yeah. want to have you call until after that, so that way there's no risk to you. Um, but anyway, with uh, moving forward, did you have like the the five a.m. no knock raid, or did they give you a call? Like, come and surrender yourself. How how did they actually arrest you?
2: Yeah, so uh, so we worked it out through my attorney. You know, arranged that the interview through my attorney. Well, I guess here, here's here's one thing I'll mention: they, you know, after they got these tips about me. You know, they, they show up in my house. I'm not there. They show up in my office. And, you know, the, the FBI, I get a call, you know, because they had come to my house. So, obviously, I got a call from whoever was at the house saying, hey, the FBI just stopped by looking for you. So, they come over to my office. And, you know, the, the document they have in my hand, I can see they have, uh, like, a printout of a screenshot of the surveillance video of the pipe bomber. Um, you know, obviously, we know, a lot more (laughs) things about that narrative now. But when when they came in to talk to me, they were like, hey, we want to know if you know anything about the pipe bomber. Now, obviously, I don't believe any of the tips they got suggested that I had any connection to the pipe bomber. I don't think any of the evidence they had found suggested I I might know anything about the pipe bomber. Uh, You know, I was never in the area around the the rnc or dnc where the pipe bombs were left so <coughs> you know my my only conclusion of as to that is that you know that was uh a bit of deception on their part that they were uh that was not their intention at all to gather any information about the pipe bombing but merely to you know play on the the tendency i'm sure many january 6th defendants would have had to be like oh yeah let me Let me tell you whatever I can, because obviously I want to help catch a terrorist. And, you know, in the process, confirming the fact that, you know, they're at the Capitol and whatever they actually did, which was, in fact, almost certainly what the the FBI's actual intent was with with coming to talk to me. But naturally, as an American citizen, I exercise my right not to be questioned uh, without the presence of counsel. You know, the FBI agent leaves his card. I get a lawyer. We we do end up arranging an interview on the advice of my lawyer. And then, you know, I think the next month, you know, my lawyer gets a heads up from the FBI saying, hey, we're going to charge your client. Let's, uh, <coughs> let's arrange for, for uh, him to turn himself in. So that's what I did. I turned myself in at the courthouse, um, you know, got, got booked, got fingerprinted, got a mugshot and everything from the, the U.S. Marshals and then basically sat in a, a cell at the courthouse for a couple hours until my hearing. And at the hearing, the government was like, oh, yeah, we're not asking for him to be detained. Um, and so, you know, they, they let me out.
1: Well, that's a good thing. Uh, being awarded bond is a huge advantage in uh, helping to build your own defense with the case of what you're being accused of. Um, I was lucky enough to be awarded bond shortly after my arrest as well. You know, I'm a man of faith, so I thank God every day that I have had this little bit of freedom uh, to be able to research and, you know, build a defense and to be able to still hug my family. And, you know, whenever they're freaking out, just give them a hug, look them in the eye and say, listen, it's going to be OK. We got this. Uh, many other January 6th defendants and inmates, they don't they don't have that luxury. So um, I definitely don't take mine for granted. And I'm sure that you don't take yours for granted. Oops. You don't take yours for granted either. Um, I know you went to trial, and they found you guilty on all of your charges. Correct?
2: Yes, that is correct.
1: Yeah. What were you? What were your charges? What were you facing?
2: So my charges were the the four misdemeanors that they've charged, you know, most of the defendants with, which is entering and remaining in a restricted area, uh, disorderly conduct in a restricted area, um, disorderly conduct in a Capitol building, and then parading, demonstrating, or picketing in a Capitol building. So those are the four charges. Um, You know, we we made our argument at trial, but, you know, going to DC, I was aware that, you know, despite whatever facts we could present, there was uh, a low probability that, you know, I would be found not guilty on those charges. But, you know, I went to trial anyway, because I don't know, I guess, (laughs) I guess I'm still a bit idealistic um, in terms of the American justice system that, you know, you have your opportunity to, you know, say your piece, make your defense, then you'll be judged by by uh, 12 of your peers or 12 of the, the DC equivalent of your peers is. And, you know, I went to trial, was found guilty on all four charges, which, you know, wasn't a huge shock to me.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to be said about that, but um, we'll, we'll step forward into a, another aspect. Um, although on the idea, I'm just going to speak for myself here. The idea of having a jury of your peers in D.C., considering the situation, it's like somebody robbing Walmart and then the employees of Walmart sitting on the jury. Um, it's not necessarily fair uh, in, in most cases. So um, in my case, I think I actually lucked out. I had a couple of jurors that were sympathetic towards uh, towards my case and they saw the facts and the evidence for what it truly was. And so I, I definitely thank God for that one. Um, I consider myself one of the lucky ones, but I was still convicted of seven out of the 12 charges that they threw at me, which we're still arguing in court. And I hope you are, too, fighting your case. I don't want to go into the details of your case because it's still pending. Um, But I hope that you are still uh, pushing against uh, what they say that you're guilty of. So we definitely will send out some prayers uh, for you in that aspect. You need to get you some gear get a hoodie hat t-shirt coffee mugs any type of drinkware, really they even have tumblers that say i prefer some keck in my kofe."fi but all sorts of sing for freedom merchandise decals for the windows of your car That way you can show everybody around you that you believe in America, that you believe in freedom, and that you're willing to stand up and speak out and fight for American values to protect our children, to stand up for those that are being politically persecuted. And you can also snub your nose at the branded administration and say, enough is enough, old man. This is our country and we're not gonna take it. We will not comply. We do not consent because we, the people, are making patriotism sexy again. All sorts of sizes styles colors anything that you're looking for p 2 pprintingcom printing.com forward slash pi in on p-i-a-n-o-n p2p printing that's p like patriot the number two p like patriot again printing.com that's where we go for all of our merch and every bit of it goes to help keep what we're doing alive freedom unchained Being a thorn in the establishment, getting the truth and the information, the people's stories out there away from the mainstream, lamestream talking heads on TV, as well as getting America to sing the national anthem every night at 9 p.m. Because it has become a national campaign, making an international difference, standing up for freedom and singing on behalf of those that are being politically persecuted and telling the branded administration where they can stick it. So go check out p2pprinting.com forward slash or just click on the link in the description box. Take you directly to my page on their website and get your gear. You know you can make it look good. Now, since your arrest and uh, since your trial, you have not been quiet. You've been out very public on Twitter, uh, showing video footage, giving commentary, documentation, etc um, highlight some of the things that either you have already done or things that you want to have folks focus on in the future.
2: Yeah. I mean, so, so definitely one, one of the elements that I have, have focused on, um, getting out there is the the story about Derek Fargo. You know, when I first started, you know, pushing video about, out about him, you know, he was still unidentified. We didn't know what had happened to him. It was just, you know, he was carried away on a stretcher. and then there, there is no more information about him, no more information about how, how badly he was injured, no more information about, you know, whether he had fully recovered, whether he was even still alive. Um, you know, we, we had a pretty good idea that he had not been arrested because that, you know, would have, would have sort of come out. Um, but yeah, you know, I worked to get the video out there, you know, it ended up, um, making its way into some of the, (coughs) some of the, you know conservative publications who were interested in uh you know putting stuff out about january 6th which you know unfortunately many aren't but like the epic times um you know the gateway pundit both you know reported uh, based on this this video i'd put out and eventually um you know the the man derek vargo did come forward um you know he did one interview with that uh, kara kashnrova of the gateway pundit you know sort of giving his side of the story um, of what had happened to him you know some learning some more information about, you know, how, how badly he'd been injured and, you know, the, the surgeries and whatever uh, <coughs> required. Um, so, so that's one of the, the stories, one of the, the big stories that I had uh, focused on my, my research efforts on. And I was also the first to um, publish the, the name of the officer who pushed him off, which uh, the government had revealed in some court documents. Um, I believe it was earlier this year. But, you know, I, I sort of got an anonymous tip saying, hey, you should uh, you should check this out because previously, you know, no one had uh, publicly put the pieces together saying, hey, you know, the the government documents was was actually about the the video you mentioned at the the bottom of the stairs. You know, one of the people who is involved um, in that conflict there, um, you know, in the charge against them, they had that officer in the blue helmet, Officer Bryant Williams, testify and so, you know, they, they mentioned him in the charging documents with the picture saying, hey, this is him. And so I was able to put that together and saying, hey, you know, this, this officer in the blue helmet who was identified at the bottom of the stairs, he's the same officer who we can see in video in the middle of the stairs pushing Derek Fargo off the staircase. So, you know, that's, that's uh, certainly one of the stories that I've reported on. I've also, uh, you know, focused on the story of Fi Duong. And the, sort of the how it intersects with the the metropolitan undercover police officers. You know, I believe the charging documents against Duong were the first mention that we had of these <coughs> metropolitan, you know, undercover employees. I believe that's that's what he was referred to in the document, which you know we later find out were part of this, I believe, twenty six man electronic surveillance unit that at least some members of that unit on January sixth were deployed, you know, as plainclothes officers or undercover in the crowd with cameras. And now we know that, you know, the very same officer who is mentioned in that um, Duong charging documents who set him up, you know, with that undercover FBI agent to infiltrate his group after January 6th, that same undercover Metropolitan Police officers on camera saying things like, you know, go, go, go and move forward, you know, as he's you know, that he's saying to the crowd as he is trying to, you know, move forward himself and, you know, move, move with the crowd up to that uh, upper terrace area at the top of the Northwest staircase. So that's, that's one of the stories I've definitely been interested in, you know, putting the pieces together from when we had very little information to now that we've got more about the, the electronic surveillance unit. And now that um, earlier this year, some of the, the video that those undercover officers took, was actually leaked, you know, showing that the actual evidence of, of some of the things these officers were saying, which, you know, crossed the line sort of into, um, you know, being a provocateur instead of just, you know, sort of passively filming what was going on. There
1: you go. And uh, we actually did an, an entire episode dedicated to the undercover and uh, assets within the crowd from uh, in the metro police of dc and from what we've seen some of the electronic service unit uh members that were undercover in the crowd tended to be pretty rowdy and as you say crossed the line into provocateur and agitator so hopefully um a lot of that is going to come out to the you know the truth and because you know quite frankly entrapment is a thing and that needs to be exposed um especially when it's you know those that were causing trouble are also the ones going around arresting folks so uh, with that being said, um, anything that you're working on currently or that you're going to be um, hoping that other people can highlight in the future?
2: Um, <coughs> right now, I don't have uh, any specific January 6 stories that I'm working on. I'm still trying to, uh, I just released a documentary recently on January 6th, which is called 79 Minutes, the Breach of the Capitol, which sort of focuses on the series of events from the initial violence at Capitol grounds, you know, at, at, with riots at, at the edge of Capitol grounds, you know, and Trump was still speaking, sort of the series of events leading to the breach, of the actual Capitol building, which is sort of a uh, a linear line, I guess, sort of uh, through time and through space, you know, up that Northwest staircase, you know, involving the the flashbangs the police were deploying there, the incident with Derek Fargo, um, just just sort of laying it out tactically, with Like how, how did one of the, the largest police forces in, you know, the, the United States fail to basically accomplish one of their primary objectives, which is, um, you know, protecting the Capitol building. So I'm, I'm still working on, uh, on pushing that documentary, getting that, that story out there. So I think it was, it was uh, when I started working on this, this uh, story, this documentary and, the end of 2021, it was really sort of a story and a narrative that I hadn't seen anyone put together. Um, so I'm still working on getting that out there. Anyone who wants to watch it can go to j6documentary.com. You know, watch, watch the, the full thing. I put it out for free because I want, you know, sort of as, as many people to be able to watch it as possible and sort of, you know, get get an understanding, not just of isolated incidents of, oh, the police did this or the police did that, but how these specific incidents contributed to, you know, people being able to, to make it into the Capitol and wander all around and uh, cause chaos.
1: Now you said that was j6documentary.org or Dot com. Dot .com. com. So uh, I'm going to get and drop that in your ticker across the bottom. We actually did a watch party, um, myself and my audience, uh, watched your documentary, and it was a, a beautiful breakdown of the uh, the police and how, for example, the staircase was a weak point. And once that gave, that they had pretty much lost all ground. Um, so kudos to you on that one. It was uh, very enjoyable. Now, I see you have a bit of a cold or a, a bit of a cough. I'm assuming you have a cold?
2: Yeah, yeah, a bit of a cold. I have a lingering cough.
1: Yeah, don't worry. He's not sick, folks. It's just COVID. It's okay. <laughs> no, I'm I'm being facetious. But um, yeah, the, the work that you've done, uh, again, like I said at the beginning, uh, the objective truth, putting out you know documented footage, and doing your due diligence and your research to be able to show exactly how the incidents of that day played out, and um, you know, identifying the undercover agents within the crowd, identifying r- officers responsible for such incidences as the Derek Vargo. Um, as well as the inconsistencies within different testimonies and uh, things of that sort. Um, like, I can't thank you enough. I've, I've enjoyed your research. I share it quite a bit. And um, also, thank you for following me on Twitter. It's appreciated, sir. Um, but with that, like, I, I look up to everything that you've been putting out there and uh, I give the credibility that it, it is definitely due. Um, Because everything that you've done and seen or have reported on, um, I either saw it myself or can corroborate it through multiple other sources. So as we say, you bring the sauce. And that is important with such a contentious event such as January 6th because of the echo chamber slash bad game of telephone that can happen. Uh, Due to people's misconceptions and misperceptions of that day on both sides of the aisle, not just the the left, but the right as well. Um, Most specifically, um, or actually the first time I'd ever, quote unquote, met you uh, was on a Twitter space and people uh, you put out your opinion about the death of Roseanne Boylan and what had caused it. And the people in that audience, um, for the lack of a better term, they attacked you because it went against what a majority of them thought or believed. And so I sort of stepped in at that moment and was like, hey, listen, this is not the attack Steve Horn hour. We're here to discuss this and this. And we had some January 6th defendants that were calling in from the jail at the time to try to redirect the crowd to something a little more productive. Um, And so we just recently did an episode on Roseanne Boylan highlighting the incidences at the entrance of the tunnel and her subsequent care um, by the Capitol in Metro Police and D.C. Fire and EMS uh, afterwards in the hallways inside the building. And I can tell my audience that what we had seen in those videos does go against the narrative that's being pushed by our, quote unquote, well, my side of the movement. But the objective truth is what's important to bring out exactly what happened and what caused her demise. And you have been reporting that what we saw Uh, It was a Saturday when I did the episode, is exactly what you've been reporting on for the last year and a half, if not longer. And so, hat tip to you, friend, you had the objective eye long before um, even myself, because I had fallen into that cognitive. I fell into the idea of, of what people were telling us, researchers, you know, people that we look up to in our movement are saying about it. And then seeing the video firsthand told me something different. And so, I had to have a moment to deal with my own cognitive dissonance and hopefully help folks in the audience that did witness this and others that may see it after, um, be able to see the absolute truth of what had happened with her death as well. And so just want to give you a shout out saying that, you know, I was wrong, you've been right. Um, And I certainly can appreciate the the fact that you take that approach very, you try to stay objective. Um, I've honestly hardly heard you give any subjective opinion in any of the Twitter spaces you've been into, or uh, different posts that you make, like you try to just stick by the facts. So, with that being said, in your trial, they said that you're not media. What sort of grounds did they give to to justify that?
2: Yeah, I mean that. As far as I could tell, the government didn't have a very consistent position in in my trial. At, at some points, they seemed to be saying that I was not media. At other points, they are saying they seem to be saying that I I was a journalist, but that I had only started doing it after January sixth to sort of you know cover my tracks or or whatnot. Um. So so that that that's one of the frustrating things for me is because you know yeah I, I like being objective and I like being logically consistent. So it, it frustrates me that that the government was not putting forward a logically consistent. You know, argument as to okay, this this is the criteria by which you know one should be considered a journalist or or member of the media or whatever term you want to use. But but yeah, the I I can't really tell you exactly what the government's argument was because it 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 was not consistent. It, you know, I don't think it was even consistent between their their opening statement and their uh, their closing statement. It was just you know seemed to be whatever was i guess convenient to to sway the jury at at whatever time so yeah that, that was a bit frustrating to me because i like i like a good logically consistent argument
1: yeah that tends to be part and parcel of any uh dc prosecutors that that's part for the course you know they uh try to twist as much as they possibly can and throw the um emotional cherry bomb into the mix to to get their effect but that's my opinion um you know, I, I've had my prosecutor blatantly lie uh, to the judge, and provably, like we we had proven it to be false immediately, as it was, as it was said. Um, but they they did it to prevent my wife from being able to come and testify on my behalf. So, but they won because I decided the risk outweighed the benefit, and my wife did not come to testify. So, um, um, M, in who's in our chat, uh, she's really active there this morning she says that she follows you and you've been extremely helpful helpful in their defense to their clients uh, more than once so they want to say thank you very much for the due diligence and the hard work that you put in you're appreciated on many aspects there um yeah. as you all see at the bottom of the screen i have his links going through um follow him on twitter at stephen e horn also the uh, j6documentary.com for the uh, 79 minutes uh, documentary and also he has a give send go he is a defendant fighting for his his freedom and his own well being uh, so check that there at the bottom it's Stephen Horn at J6 with underscores in between where there should be spaces and uh, any little bit can go a long way because legal defense in especially the federal courts are not cheap and it, it pretty much destroys everybody and anybody that tries to go against the federal government financially. And I'm sure he'd very much appreciate it. Um, he's not asked me to push this. This is something I'm I'm doing on my own volition so that he can get the help that he needs. And uh, I know you might be a little too proud to even ask yourself. So I do it for you but it's well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I
2: uh, waited until, uh, you know, a month or two ago to open it out just cause yeah, that's, it's, it's not my nature to ask for things, but I, I do appreciate any help.
1: Yeah. Understandable. Um, I can certainly relate. It is demoralizing to have to stand to me like, Hey, I need help with this stuff. But in the same sense, you're quite literally fighting for your life. So it is understandable. You know, I've been, having to do it for a long time and I like to promote everybody else I don't like to promote myself for that same exact reason um, in doing this I do now especially because the legal bills are piling up um, for some reason my kids like to eat every day it's really weird this novel concept of having nutrition crazy so this week in the triangle.com is a website you have posted on your uh, bio in twitter what can you tell us about that
2: yeah, so that's just uh, reporting on local news here in uh, the, the Raleigh area of North Carolina. It's called the Triangle, sort of Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. Um, so that, you know, that, that's actually what I prefer to be um, focusing my journalistic efforts on is, you know, sort of local news. I think that that's really how you can make more of an impact is focusing locally um, on stuff. You have uh, more ability to influence or uh, or control. Um so so that's the the sort of news I like to focus on is is really local stories. so that's yeah if if you're in uh, the Triangle area of North Carolina, you know check it out. Um, really trying to provide an alternative to the the liberal dominated mainstream media, which is you know pretty much all, all of the local media in the area is uh, liberal or or even leftist, and so yeah I, I like to provide uh, an alternative to that.
1: Uh, That's that's great. As we all have heard said quite ad nauseum, to be honest, is local impact makes a national difference. And so you are doing exactly that. You're doing your local reporting as well as reaching out on a national level with uh, several different aspects, not just January 6th. I've been focusing on January 6th because that's the basis of this show. But I just want folks to know that you uh, reach out into a plethora of subject matters. Um, More recently, of course, with everything going over uh, with Hamas and Israel, I've seen you've been reporting and and sharing information about that. Um, You even put out your disgust about the gore that has been coming across your timeline. And I can certainly agree that it is not uh, it's not healthy for the soul uh, to be seeing that. So certainly commend you for everything that you've been doing. If you could give a message to other January 6th defendants or their family members that are in the situation that you're currently facing, uh, what would it be, sir?
2: That's an interesting question that I I haven't necessarily thought about. I mean, I I guess I would just say, you know, it's all in God's hands. Um, You know, what, what he has decreed will come to pass. And um some, sometimes it's what what you prefer would happen, and, and sometimes it's not what you would prefer. But um, you know, ultimately, u- ultimately, your fate is not in your hands. It's it's not in the government hands either. It's in God's hands.
1: Truer words have never been spoken, friend. Absolutely, uh, we've all leaned pretty heavily on our faith in that moment. And I myself, personally, I I've always said, whatever happens, is God's will. And so I accept it. And in the words of Job, though he slay me, I will trust in the name of the Lord. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to share uh, before we part ways? We've already had you for a little over an hour. I, I know you probably weren't expecting to be on for this long, but it's deeply appreciated. <laughs> um, But the floor is yours.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's it. You know, I, I appreciate you uh, sharing links to, to all my stuff and, and the fundraiser. And yeah, I appreciate you having me on.
1: No, the honor is is all mine. I will shoot you that number in DM. And uh, I'd also like to throw out there that um, Mel Holly is a good friend of the show and uh, she would definitely love to have you on as well. Uh, she's been doing a lot of uh, good expose work on the the truth behind January 6th and the people involved. Um, and I know she'd spoken and she wanted to to interview you as well. So I'm not putting you on the spot. You don't have to agree right here, but I just want to throw that out there that uh, Mel Holly was definitely knocking at the door. And uh, she she's a good one. So please consider. But we thank you very much um, again for your time, Mr. Horn. And, and everything that you do, You know that you have uh, a friend and a fan over on this side um, putting out all of the truth that you've been reporting on. And we wish you the best and hope you keep up the good fight, sir.
2: Okay. Thank you.
1: Thank you. There you have it, folks. Steve Horn. Just... Truly amazing the humility that he has and truly the investigative reporting that he does. Uh, He takes a very different perspective, um, trying to not be clouded by personal judgment or personal uh, opinions, but just giving the truth and putting out the information as it is, without any fluff. And uh, I have to say it's definitely rubbed raw on some folks that are on our side of the aisle or in our side of the movement, but quite frankly, folks, Facts don't care about your feelings. The truth is what we need. The truth is what can unite us. And the truth is what can get us all past these misconceptions of, the, of that day to bring what we've all been asking for, the truth of January 6th to the forefront. So glad to have him on here. I look forward to seeing all of the work that he's going to be doing. Please check out his documentary, uh, 79 Minutes at the Capitol. Um, it's just a, a truly, it's a great piece. It's a work of art. Uh, He does the narration throughout of it as well as uh, giving breakdowns of each individual video clip that they show of that day. We had the watch party replays are forever, but go to January six documentary or excuse me, J six documentary.com. So that way he can get the, the clicks and the traffic uh, of you all watching it. And uh, would definitely do him some service as well as to let him know that you're out there watching it. And it, it is something that would be great to show Many of your friends, family, and those that may not understand what exactly happened at January 6th, and that is basically a great conversation starter to bring the truth to the forefront. Amazon, Amazon, everybody buys things off of Amazon, and then they give their money to China or they give money to leftist, communist, Marxist programs they support. What we despise. So vote with your dollar, folks. Stop going to Amazon. I know there's nothing out there that is going to help America first, small businesses, especially those that are veteran owned, and is a good enough competitor to Amazon to make it worth your time. You are wrong. MammothNation.com, frontline competitor to Amazon. Everything that they handle is strictly vetted to make sure those companies are America first. And they focus a lot on veteran-owned small businesses. You can get everything that your basket of deplorables may need to be filled with. Get whatever your patriotic heart desires. And they are offering a wonderful 30% discount. So you can help and vote with your dollar. Get the things that you want, the things that you need, and tell Amazon where they can stick it. MammothNation.com. Get a 30% discount by using the promo code of FREEDOMJ6. That's FREEDOM, the letter J, the number six. Tell them Pi sent you. MammothNation.com, promo code FREEDOMJ6. And start focusing on America first and telling China to get out of our pockets and tell Amazon where they can go next. As you all can probably tell after my absence, uh, following my trial, because I wanted to spend some time with family and then some things in life happened where I I really couldn't catch up. I wanted to do my episode as I kept promising and it kept getting put off. Uh, First of all, I really appreciate everybody that stuck around, that still want to hear the stories of January 6th. But that's why I've been doing a lot of these excerpt episodes out of the Coffee and Pie live stream. Because even though I was unable to um, do these episodes of getting interviews with uh, people that are involved in January 6th on a regular basis and having to deal with a lot of legal aspects of my trial and of court, blah, 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 um, I want to make sure you guys are, have availability to the content uh, that we've been doing. I started live streaming video uh, during my time of absence, and it has been truly uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been exhilarating. It's been eye-opening and it has been a learning experience. <clears throat> so as we keep moving forward, I'm going to start doing more regularly scheduled interviews here uh, for all of you with Freedom Unchained and on Spotify and Pandora, iHeartRadio, all the other platforms where cool kids listen to their podcasts except for Apple because I don't like them. And... Um, As I do interviews through video on my coffee and pie show on Rumble and Foxhole, I will add the excerpts in, but I've been doing them kind of back to back just so I can play catch up and get out there what we've been doing. Although I was absent here, I was busy other places trying to expand our reach for the truth of January 6th because we need to bring awareness to you, America, of what is going on in our country because too many people Still, to this day, even in high positions, really have no idea what happened. They just listen to the mainstream news, and they don't tell the whole story at all. They have their own narratives that they push. So, awareness, information, and getting your voices heard is how we win this war on information. They try to stifle the truth. We try to resuscitate it. Thank you all for listening. I hope to see you next time. And remember, no matter what happens, the Brandon administration ain't got nothing on we the people because we're Americans. And it's going to stay that way.
2: Oh, say can you see by the dawn? Hey!